Welcome to the Condo Vultures Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Zalewski. This is the Reporters Roundtable, previously known as the Miami Real Estate and Economic Roundtable. What it is, it's current and former journalists get together, talking about some of the biggest stories that have occurred uh, within the last week or so. So in season two, which is what we're in, and by the way, this what we're going to start off with is we're going to start off with the core group, which is myself. I was a reporter for 13 years. After that, I was a columnist for the Miami Herald, as well as Real Deal for another five years. Um, again, I'm Peter Zalewski. I'm a licensed real estate broker. We also have a gentleman who worked at the South Florida Business Journal for a number of years, covered white-collar crime as well as public traded companies based in South Florida, but now he has his own public relations and marketing gig uh, uh, situation. His name is John Fackler. What's going on there, Mr. Fackler? Not too much. Glad to be back. Season two. We, we made it to season two. You made it through the New Year's. That's right. Wow. Well done. Well done. And who else do we have? The other cornerstone of our uh, Reporters Roundtable podcast is John Groose. John was a journalist for over 25 years, worked at a whole variety of publications in the state of Florida, including the Tampa Tribune. Right now, he has his own public relations and marketing firm called Groose Communication. What's going on, John? Happy New Year, Peter. Um, we've made it this far, so uh, think things are looking up, man. We've made it this far, and things are looking up. Although nobody's been vaccinated, right, John? You you haven't been vaccinated, right, for the COVID? I have not. I have and, not. No. And Mr. Fackler, any luck? Did they 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 stick you in the arm yet? As the uh, as the Brits like to say on the BBC, did you get stuck? I'm still on the waiting list. Waiting list. Ah, interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Myself, not at all. Um, anybody who is not aware. Uh, uh, in the state of Florida, they are uh, handing out or they, they're doing the vaccinations to a variety of different people, but it's being done county by county, hospital by hospital with no guidance from the governor. And as a result, it's a complete clusterfuck. And by the way, I should tell everybody, we look for straight talk and salty language is permissible. So that's our chef, first curse word of season two. So um, uh, that being said, guys, let's let's go ahead and let's lay out the, uh, the framework for what we're gonna be doing for this particular podcast, this reporter's roundtable. What we're going to do is we're going to talk about three stories. Uh, one will be the COVID numbers, what's going on in South Florida as well as the state of Florida based on statistics for COVID. And then we'll talk about two stories that have to do with the uh, local economy as well as the national economy. We'll take a commercial break. On the other side of the break, we'll get into another three stories. going to be more real estate related. We will take another break. and we'll, I'm going to ask the panelists to go ahead and make a prediction about what do they expect for 2021. And then finally, we'll get into the comment section. When you, the listener, you can go ahead and sound off. You can make a suggestion. You can make a compliment. You can compliment us, criticize us, um, you name it. Uh, ask a question. We want to sort of hear from you. So that's sort of the rules of engagement. Before we get started, let me just tell you, if you do want to reach out to us, send us an email at inquiry.condovultures.com, I-N-Q-U-I-R-Y at condovultures.com. That was a lot to say. But, uh, guys, let's talk about the COVID numbers. Let's talk about what's going on in the state of Florida. What we got as of today, this is the 19th of January when we're recording this. We have just under 1.6 million confirmed cases in the state of Florida, keeping in mind Florida has 21 million or so population. So we got 1.6 million confirmed cases. We have 24,436 deaths, according to the state of Florida Department of Health, COVID-19 dashboard. These numbers are updated daily. Uh, anybody wants to look them up, I encourage you to just go ahead on Google or anywhere else. Whatever search engine you use, type in state of Florida, Department of Health, COVID-19 dashboard, you'll be able to get these numbers. And they break them down by county, which is what we're going to do. We're going to talk about South Florida numbers, what's going on in South Florida. Anybody who doesn't know South Florida, it's Miami-Dade to the south, Broward County in the center, and Palm Beach County to the north. So what do we got going on in South Florida? We're approaching, guys, 
600,000 cases. We're at 599-506. So when we do our podcast, Reporters Roundtable, next week, we're going to be well over 600,000 confirmed cases in this Tri-County, South Florida area. On the death count side, 8671, 8671, 8671. That's how it's going down. So percentage-wise, what is that? Well, South Florida represents about 38% of all the confirmed cases and just under 36% of all the deaths. Now, when we first started doing this podcast and first started talking about the numbers, South Florida was representing north of 40%, as high as 45% of the death count, as well as the case count. What we can see, uh, based on what's going on now, again, 38% of the cases, 36% of deaths, is that effectively uh, we're doing better proportionally than the rest of the state is, where the numbers are uh, uh, obviously increasing dramatically, because South Florida used to be 45%, now it's 38% or so. Now, on a county-by-county basis, guys, 344,000 confirmed cases in Miami-Dade County, 159,000 cases confirmed in Broward, and 97,000 confirmed cases in Palm Beach County. Over in uh, on the death count side, 4,600 people died in Dade County from COVID. Just under 2,000 people died in Broward, and nearly 2,100 people died in Palm Beach County. So that is the death count. That is the confirmed case count. That's the COVID-19 situation in Florida. Uh, what, what do you guys have to say about that? What are your thoughts on the vaccination, how it's being rolled out, and sort of your optimism, if you have any, uh, you know, for the short-term future? What, uh, what say you? Mr. Fackler, you want to you uh, uh, spout off on anything related to COVID? Well, I, um, I I got some positive vibes going forward here. It looks like they're, uh, the spigots are opening up as far as the vaccinations. Um, when I visited the, uh, the websites, uh, the hospital websites a week ago, two weeks ago, they were talking about 13,000 people have appointments. You've got to come back. Then suddenly, all of a sudden, uh, they, more people are starting to get, be able to go in and get vaccinations. So, um, yeah, I think the state is doing a good job as far as that goes. Uh, I still have some reservations about the national effort because apparently there was never <laughs> there was no um, inventory for second shots. So anybody who went and got their first shot has to worry about the timing now for the second shot. So I'm kind of glad I didn't go for that first shot, you know. Um, once Biden gets in the, uh, in the saddle, I think we'll start to see some more uh, uh, the logistics uh, start to pan out. And, and just to refresh everybody's memory or, or state the obvious, uh, we're recording this on the 19th of January. Uh, President-elect Joe Biden will be inaugurated on the 20th. So he'll be inaugurated tomorrow. Donald Trump's uh, term will end, and Biden and his team will then take over. And they supposedly have this whole strategy of how they're going to try to uh, inoculate people. They're saying 100 million vaccinations in the first 100 days. They want people to wear masks. So it's going to be dramatically different with the top-down type of direction rather than the Trump administration, which basically gave the states the vaccines and said, go ahead and deal with it on your own. Um, what, what, what do you say to that, John? Um, uh, do you, are you expecting a diff- anything different than what we've been dealing with, or do you expect a lot more of the same, which is basically confusion and, and everybody having to fight to try to get a, uh, a vaccination? We have senior citizens camping out overnight on a first-come, first-come basis in order to get a vaccination. So what, what, what do you think is coming, John? Yeah, I mean, I you know, I think the camping out thing is that that I mean that that happened at the beginning, and I I don't think we're going to see a repeat of that. I mean, that was just bad PR, man. Uh, I, I don't <laughs> think that's going to happen again. <laughs> uh, but I I um, I'm encouraged by the fact that um, 
they they started um, uh, enlisting public supermarkets um, to start uh, inoculating people. So, yep. like I think 130 public supermarkets are. So I think as as we roll out into the CVSs and the Walgreens and the Publixes, and um, I, I think the I think the state said that uh, just recently that 700,000 elderly Floridians had had received the vaccine. So. You know that's that's kind of the most vulnerable population, and yeah, I mean we we had those long lines of people camping out in certain areas, but I, I really don't think that's going to happen again. And certainly, I mean everybody is 100% focused on on. I mean, yeah, it's going to be a mess. You know, there's there's not enough vaccine. You can't get everybody all at once. I mean, there's inevitably going to be snafus and people cutting in line, and I mean it's going to be you know. That you know, I think we can expect that, and um, uh, so I, I actually I think that as more as more uh, of the private sector gets involved, the Publixes and the and the drug stores, I think that's going to alleviate a lot of the bottlenecks, and yep. um, and it's going to get things moving, you know. Yeah, a couple of interesting tidbits that have just sort of occurred uh, since we last did our podcast. Um, uh, and these are just things that I've heard on uh, legitimate news sources like uh, the BBC, the New York Times, uh, you know, uh, leg- uh, let's say established media sources. One of them is, um, believe this or not, guys, uh, in Asia, there's a black market for vaccines. So uh, there are reports of how much a vaccine costs on the black market, whether it's in India, it's in Thailand, or it's anywhere like that. I haven't heard anything about uh, black market uh, uh, vaccinations in, in the state of Florida thus far, but I have heard the governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis, say that some of these organizations that are actually uh, distributing the vaccinations, uh, they might not get another round of vaccinations if they're only giving it to their preferred donors. The people are writing a big check so uh, extensions and wings can be added on the hospitals. Uh, so, so you know, there, there's a little bit of an element of maybe uh, it's not going to the most needy in terms of vaccination. It might be going to those who are the most uh, uh, have the most contacts. You guys have any opinion? Have you heard anything about that? You want to push back on that? No. Okay. So that that was one that that was one point that has sort of um, come up. Uh, you know, the other point is in terms of um, who should get the vaccination first. Uh, most places, most states, uh, at least that I've read, uh, they're trying to get it in the arms of the uh, people on the front lines, primarily healthcare workers. Um, but what the state of Florida has done is they've sort of taken a different approach, and they're saying people over 65. And some people, if you have a pre-existing condition that is serious enough, you can actually be under 65. You can get vaccinated. So in other words, it's like a it's like a mosh pit between uh, healthcare workers. And, and others to try to get the vaccination. There doesn't really seem to be like a, a clear-cut, consistent message. And then the other part of that is people have to call up like you're trying to get tickets, uh, you know, for the Super Bowl or you're trying to get tickets for a concert where there's not a system where you can actually go online, register your name, and basically be given a date, much like they did in countries like Israel um, uh, and or the United Kingdom. Um, anybody have any opinion on that? Well, once again, I mean, relying on – in my opinion, um, you know, getting getting it to the drugstores and the supermarkets, um, and enlisting the private sector in in doing it is going to go a long way towards, um, you know, because the the unfortunately state governments is not is not adequately prepared. It never is, you know. So yep, yep. I, that's just my yep. that's just my opinion. I mean, I think I, I, you're gonna yeah. 
Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with Sean. Uh, when I heard that day, we're going to actually start uh, putting uh, needles and arms at the Walgreens and the CVSs. Um, then I think that's going to turn things around. It's going to make things move faster. Um, I think there's an issue as far as personnel. They don't know if they have enough uh, pharmacists, and perhaps they're going to need a doctor on staff. Um, so I think that's the only drawback. But I think, you know, once they start delivering and start uh, uh, delivering uh, shots to uh, in the arms from the uh, pharmacies, that's going to that's be a game changer. Yep, yep, yep. And the other thing that could be a game changer, and then, and then I'll, I'll let COVID uh, sort of uh, go past. We won't talk about it anymore. This comes up in some of the stories. But the other thing that's come up is uh, the fact that some of the stumbling blocks and the, and, the, and the obstacles for the vaccination, it's not necessarily the vaccine. It's the actual, it's the glassware that the vaccine is put in. It's the refrigeration. It's the needles that are necessary. So supposedly the new administration of uh, Biden will actually go forward and require manufacturers in the United States uh, taking advantage of um, of legislation that's out there to force some of these companies to start making the vials and start making the, the um, uh, you know, the needles to do the pricking. Supposedly, that's been one of the issues. That's been some of the, you know, some of the, uh, uh, the hang up is that they can make the vaccine, but they can't necessarily put it in the little vial so they can go ahead and, and send it off. Have you guys read that or heard that um, on any of the publications or any of the, you know, the news sources you listen to? No, I hadn't heard that before. That's interesting. Oh, okay. Well, All right. That, that, well, well, I had the, the whole supply chain is, you know, is 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 going to be an issue. And if if the vi- if the guys who are making the glass vials are not making enough, that is going to hold up the whole the whole thing. But I I think like they've had like quite a long time to prepare. And the the other thing too is there's a new vaccine on the horizon by Johnson and Johnson. It's going to be a single dose, and it doesn't need to be refrigerated like the other. Uh, the other ones do so that that will really help a lot too interesting interesting and and just a little tidbit to that um uh john you mentioned Publix and 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 talking about walgreens and cvs and, and others like that uh you guys may or may not have heard but the state of washington has actually enrolled starbucks corporation you know the coffee people who charge you four bucks for a cup of coffee to go ahead and handle their logistics why because they're very good at getting their coffee and their product out all over the country as well as the world so in the state of florida they're excuse me in the state of washington they're going to get creative and starbucks is going to be uh, rolled in so i would say that's a good sign that uh, people starting to think outside of the box and if you can bring in private sector who knows maybe that is some of the good news we're, we're waiting for to try to uh, get everybody back today so that being said, guys, let's go ahead and we'll go to story number two. This is going to come out of NBC6 South Florida. It's a local affiliate. And John Fackler, I'm going to go to you with it. The headline, as Miami restaurants close, New York City Group comes to South Florida. Uh, subhead is major food group uh, bringing its restaurant empire to South Florida. Signing leases open four new restaurants in Miami-Dade this year. First couple of graphs, John, just so you, um, uh, so I can set the scene. Count some of New York City's most beloved restaurants among the influx of new pandemic migrants to Miami. Major food group is bringing its restaurant up to South Florida, signing leases open four new restaurants in Miami-Dade this year, starting with Manhattan Crown Pleaser Carbone as early as January 15th. One of its founders said that the restaurant will open in the former Southeast location of Upland, the defunct outpost for another New York City original, situated near Prime 112, Joe Stonecrab, and 49. Collins Avenue, which is all in the south of Fifth Area. John, is that good news that New York restaurant tours are coming down here to open because the state of Florida is uh, Governor DeSantis is allowing 100% occupancy, or is this simply uh, uh, an opportunist 
taking advantage of cheap uh, retail space because the original uh, 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 group leasing the space has gone sideways and disappeared. So what what, what say you, John? Well, I think it's good news and bad news scenario. Okay. okay. Um, first of all, uh, Carbone's is smoking. It's great Italian food, but it's very high-end expensive. It's um, $20 for uh, Italian wedding suit. So it should put you – if you want to put your arms around that. How much would it? Uh, I, how much should it cost, John? How much should that uh, for context? What would that cost at Olive Garden? I'll get Olive Garden. I get it for a dollar ninety-five at uh, Publix. I mean, it's just. You know, <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's it's. Listen, it's, uh, don't get me wrong. They say an average um, cost for uh, for four is four hundred dollars. So you're looking at a hundred dollars per per person. Now, I happen to know Italian food, being Italian myself. Um, it's not. It's. I mean, it's a great profit margin, I'm sure, because the food itself is not expensive to make. Uh, the supplies are not expensive. So, um, yeah, it's interesting that it's a real high end. I think they're targeting the design district, Peter, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, um, yeah. It'll be South yeah. Beach. It'll be Brickell with a steakhouse, and then the design district, which is nor- just north of Greater Downtown Miami. But here's the irony. Uh, in the story, I believe, I could be wrong, uh, I believe they mentioned that um, the CEO um, said that he's very excited about bringing in his employees from New York to Miami. So if that's the case, he's bringing in his employees, which is great. I mean, you know, because they're facing all the layoffs and everything. But what does that mean for the Miami uh, 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 workforce? You know, it, it's not going to be a boom for, you know, workers down here in the restaurant industry. He's bringing his, his boys from New York. Interesting, interesting. Uh John, uh, the the founder, who's actually um, uh, the founder of this uh, this restaurant group, again called Major Food Group. Um, one of the reasons he says he's coming down here is, and here's a quote: "The amount of people I know who are moving to here, i.e., South Florida, is unbelievable." Said the New York native. Um, is this long term stay? You think, John, or is this simply somebody trying to get the hell out of New York? And once the situation improves. They, you know, they cut bait down here and they go up there, or do you think maybe they try to get a situation set up down here and then they maintain both? Or what What, what do you sort of make of that? It doesn't, to me, sound like a commitment. It sounds like he's coming down here because this is a, the cool place where all the cool kids are. Well, I mean, look, um, this, this pandemic is going to be uh, really bad for some restaurateurs, and it's going to be really good for others. Um I mean, it's 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 bad for those who have had to shut down and and close up shop, and good for those that decide that now's the time to get some cheap space, you know, and yep. Um, yep. move and move in. So you're going to have this like rotation, um, people going out, people moving in. Um, I, I know that's happening in other parts of Florida. Um, you know, some restaurants are. Uh, leaving, you know, existing space um, that was too small and cramped. They're moving to bigger space because it's, it turns out now is like the great time to move because uh, retail space is, is cheap and you can get um, a great, a better location. So, I mean, this is all about location. So if all his customers are coming down to Miami, uh, I mean, what the hell? Come on down, you know? I mean, Come on wait, all the restaurant are all, all the restaurants in New York City are closed. I mean, right? I mean, am I am I wrong? Um, so I mean, if a restaurant, I mean, what's he gonna do? Sit on his hands? I mean, up in New York, wait wait for 
Bill de Blasio uh, to let them open up again. Who knows when, like this summer, <laughs> you know, or, or come down here or come down here where there's like, you know, reasonably priced, you know, retail space and, and set up shop. I mean, I, I think like, you know, this kind of a, almost a no brainer, you know, Makes sense. Makes sense. John, let's stick with you with story number three. This is coming out of Reuters. The headline, Outlook darkens for Wall Street as Biden, as in President-elect Biden, Joe Biden, coming in tomorrow on the 20th. Outlook darkens for Wall Street as Biden's regulators take shape. Let me read you the first couple graphs. Wall Street may be facing an uncomfortable four years after President-elect Joe Biden's team confirmed on Monday its plan to nominate two consumer champions to lead top financial agencies signaling a tougher stance on the industry than many had anticipated. Gary Gensler will serve as the chair of the Securities and Exchange Commission, and Federal Trade Commission member Rohat Chopra will head the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. Progressives see the agencies as critical to advancing policy priorities on climate change and social justice. Wall Street-friendly Republicans on Monday, Monday criticized Biden for bowing to leftists, warning the picks will be divisive. Divisive. John, I mean, I think we just went through four years of divisiveness, did we now? Um, well, I mean, look, I, I think the story's a little bit overblown. Um, uh, I, you know, I think I think Biden's picks are actually um, <laughs> they're not they're not exactly you know super left wing. I mean, Gensler is a former Goldman Sachs executive, uh, so <laughs> I, you know, I don't I don't think. You know, I I think that I think that's a little overblown to say that he's a leftist. And you yep. know, uh, qu- quite honestly, I mean, if um, if it had been Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren, I mean, okay, then then the, then you might have a point. But now you have, you know, Janet Yellen, who is going to be most likely confirmed as the uh, Secretary of the Treasury. I mean, she's yes. the ultimate you know, insider, Wall Street, you know, I would say she's, she's pretty close to Wall Street. Um, And I mean, she was the chair of the Federal Reserve. I mean, you know, these are not leftists, you know, so I I think it's a little overblown. In fact, I've been sort of listening to some of the economic forecasts and Wall Street forecasts and 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 everybody's pretty bullish, I must say. I you know there's no there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of concern about uh, about the year ahead in terms of the stock market and financial system. So yeah, I, you know that's what I'm hearing. <laughs> Mr. Fackler, the stock market has been on a run during the Trump administration. It went up and it went up and it went up, but not all the little guys uh, they were able to sort of get their fair share. Now the Biden administration, they're coming in, and if you listen to some of the uh, pushback that's being put out there, and here's a quote from Patrick McHenry, lead Republican on the House of Representatives Finance Committee. He says the Biden team is pandering to members of the far left. John, isn't it about push-pull that the Republicans and the Wall Streeters make all their cash the last four years? Isn't it time now to sort of balance out the teeter-totter so it's not heavy one side or the other? What what do you, John? Yeah, I think that's uh, that's a correct uh, assessment. I mean, I you know, what what I don't really understand is once Biden comes in and the floodgates open financially, people get money, they have money to spend. It's going to help so many different segments, the retail segment. I don't know, you know, I think the, the issue is the regulatory side. They're just scared to death that there's going to be more regulation. 
of course, the Trump administration during the, those years you know, just basically got rid of every every regulation there was. So I think they're more worried about the regulatory environment than they are about the uh, cash flow because there's going to be a lot of it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Great point. Okay, guys, let's go ahead and we'll take our first commercial break. And the other side of the break, we're going to get into three more stories, including uh, what the Biden administration could mean for um, housing, as well as Fannie and Freddie. And then we're going to talk about Miami mania. So stay tuned. We'll catch you on the other side of the break. This is Peter Zalewski of the Condo Vultures podcast. Back in 1995, I got my real estate license, but I didn't practice for a number of years simply because I was writing about real estate as a journalist. 2006, I broke out and I launched a company called Condo Vultures. The idea was to try to use information, uh, data, and know-how to try to get the best deals on behalf of buyers. So if you are a buyer and you're looking for a deal, you're looking to try to understand the condo market in the Tri-County, South Florida area, myself or my team are here to help you to get a hold of us. Please call us at 305-865-5859, 305-865-5859, or visit our website, condovulturesrealty.com. If you're enjoying the Condo Vultures podcast and you want more information, but this information in the written word as well as charts, why not sign up for the Software Distressed Market Intelligence Report? To do so, go to condovulturesrealty.com. Slightly below the main banner and logo, you will see a sign-up box. It's called the South Florida Distress Market Intelligence Report. Sign up. Simply enter your email address, hit subscribe, and lo and behold, every week you'll be sent a newsletter giving you the latest updates on what's going on in the distress market in South Florida. Welcome back to the Condo Vultures Podcast. This is the Reporters Roundtable. We're kicking around some of the biggest stories that have occurred uh, to help you, the audience, get a handle on what might be impacting the local South Florida real estate market, both for the economy as well as the real estate market. So for story number four, let's go to uh, Jean Gruss. Jean, this is coming out of CNBC headline. Biden looks to give a big boost to home buyers and builders. Three key points that uh, CNBC is highlighting. They're saying Biden's proposing a $15,000 first-time home buyer's tax credit, which could be uh, accessed immediately by the buyer, thereby serving as a down payment assistance. Point number two, the FHA could also reduce the monthly insurance premium under the new leadership. And point number three, there is an, uh, the elephant in the room is mortgage rates, which are now on the rise. Now, let me read you the first couple graphs of the piece. Anyone looking to buy a home today is likely frustrated by sky-high prices and slim pickings. But President-elect Joe Biden, who takes office on Wednesday, which will be tomorrow, will aim to ease those issues as he gears up to implement his plans for a fair housing market, from home financing to home construction. Biden's plans are focused on affordability. Here are some of the policies he's going to be pushing. Fifteen grand first time home buyers tax credit urging big banks to get back into FHA lending, encouraging new construction of both single-family and multifamily housing, and strengthening the Community Reinvestment Act, which is intended to help low- and moderate-income areas. What say you, Mr. Gruss? Is this good? Is this bad? And what kind of impact is it going to have on the housing market? Well, uh, you know, when the government gets into the housing market like this, um, there are always unintended consequences. Uh, so... <laughs> Uh, we're we're going to have to see case by case, you know, that uh, with the with the memories of the housing bust still fresh in some of our minds. I mean, these were some of the you know easy credit, easy money, you know, juice juice the uh, residential real estate market tactics that got us in trouble, uh, you know, big trouble in 2008 and 2009, and so. Yeah, these sound these sound good and they're well intentioned, 
but you know there are there are consequences to to these kinds of programs i mean i you know i don't want to debate each one one by one but i mean you know i think i think they're going to have to be a little more careful than just like throwing all this money out there um good point good point um mr feckler the outgoing president uh he's got another couple hours left Again, we're recording this the day before the inauguration of Joe Biden. The outgoing president, he built condos. He built residential. He was a developer, is a developer, basically, um, you know, made his money, whether it's a billionaire or not, uh, in the housing market. You have Joe Biden coming in who didn't make his money in the housing market. Which one makes more sense? Wouldn't Trump, because uh, he is a developer, have a better handle on what the market needs? Or does maybe Joe Biden know something that uh, outgoing President uh, Trump uh, doesn't know. Well, you know, I, I listen. I Trump. Uh, this is a lost opportunity for Trump on a lot of uh, a lot of things. Uh, while he's been sulking in the White House, he could have been doing putting some programs out there, including something like this, where he could have cop blocked Biden and didn't do it. And supposedly he's got the knowledge, yet he didn't do it. Um, he's got advisors, you know, good financial advisors supposedly. Why didn't he jump on this? Um, I mean, I think it's inspirational. From what I'm hearing, this isn't just first-time uh, home buyers. This is I'm ready to get my wallet out because supposedly, if you didn't buy a house within the last three years, uh, you're considered a first-time home buyer. Is that is that something that you've heard or? That is true. That is true. But what what I what I have a hard time believing is that you're actually going to open up that wallet and spend some money because you're not exactly um, you know. Generous with the cash, Mr. Fackler. All due respect. Well, listen, you should um, position heal thyself. I mean, you're, you're the you're the coupon you're the coupon keeper, not me. But um, listen, I mean, it's it's um, very interesting. But I really I really have to underscore Sean's point in, in that you know he needs some really good advice here going forward, not to go too crazy, Biden, and to be very, real careful. We don't want to repeat, obviously, of '08. Um, but, you know, I think I look at it as a, as a positive thing um, going forward, not just for myself, but in general for the real estate market down here. All right. Now, now yeah. it's a perfect segue into story number five. John, uh, John Goose, I'm going to stick with you on this story. Uh, this is kind of related to the first story. So the first story came out of CNBC. Second story is coming out of the New York Post. Headline is, let me find it, housing may again be behind the 2008 fall, 2008 fall, kind of funny play on the headlines. But what's not funny is basically there's a column saying that we might be repeating the mistakes that led to the 2008 uh, Great Recession. So, so Jean, let, let me read you the first couple graphs of this piece. Again, coming out of New York Post. And again, the headline, headline is housing may again be behind the 2008 fall. Um, we seem to be living in an era of the unexpected disaster, a virus that suddenly shuts down the U.S. economy and ends life as we know it, a banking system that's at one minute solvent and the next on the brink of collapse. Of course, such calamities are never totally unexpected. The banking system was flashing warning signs about a year before the worst of the 2008 financial crisis. The pandemic was ravaging China before it came to the U.S., even if we were told it would uh, evaporate once the uh, warm weather hit. Here's another so-called unexpected disaster, disaster flashing warning signs that will be severe, that will have severe consequences for the American taxpayer if or when it arrives. A new massive housing crisis and the very possibility of significant economic collapse in the years ahead. 
what say you, John? Uh, is this is this columnist? Uh, you know, they they they're fear monger, or are they maybe on to something? Well, I mean, um, I, I think the the piece is uh, talking about Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, which are uh, government sponsored enterprises. Um, uh, so these are uh, agencies that uh, back uh, many, many, uh, most of the housing mortgages in this country. And um, the problem is, is that uh, there have been repeated attempts to privatize, uh, privatize these uh, entities and try to get them to be properly capitalized so that the next, uh, if the next crisis comes along, uh, they can stand on, on their own on feet and the government doesn't have to bail them out. But, you know, the government has always had an interest in housing and promoting housing. And um, the, 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 the problem is, is that I think these entities are like financial crack, you know, for, for housing and government. And the government just cannot wean itself off of this, off of this, um, uh, this scheme of, of Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac uh, because it's really hard to do without upsetting the entire mortgage market. <laughs> so right. how do you do that? How do you do that without sort of, you know, uh, and and how do you do it without upsetting the apple cart? And that's that's really very hard to do because everybody's addicted to these to this system where Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac essentially buy up all the mortgages that are the that you know conform to their system um so to keep the 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 home buying machine uh rolling so i mean i i kind of think of it as as financial crack for the housing market and it's very hard to take away and it's sowing the seeds i think this this author is saying sowing the seeds for a very similar crisis to the one we had 2008 2009 maybe not next year or or even the year after that but down the road it's conceivable and what is conceivable, too, is that prices are likely to continue going up. If um, some of the plans that the Biden administration was talking about, you know, the $15,000 tax credit that you could basically use as part of your down payment, the low interest rates, the, uh, uh, you know, the encouragement uh, for FHA financing and other things, that might just go ahead and contribute to all this. And like Jean said, uh, Fannie and Freddie, what they do is they buy the loans from the banks. So the banks go ahead and they originate these mortgages. Then they turn around and they sell to the government. So when it all goes sideways or if it goes sideways, the public-private entity, whether it's Fannie, um, Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac, they're the ones on the hook, which means the taxpayers have to turn around and, and, uh, and bail them out. Mr. Fackler, you lived through the 2008 uh, Great Depression or Great Recession, I should say. Uh, you know, a lot of people got their asses handed to them back then. Um, do you have any concerns when you see real estate prices being what they are, when you see how many days on the market the houses are before they sell, which is virtually nothing? A any concerns that maybe we're a little bit in a frothy, uh, bubblish type of uh, market, not only in South Florida for single family houses as well as the country? Well, you know me. I'm a glass half empty guy. So, um, you know, normally I'd say, sure, they go it's being overblown, we're ready for a crash, but I got to tell you, I, I think this is fear-mongering by this columnist from the Rupert Murdoch owner of New York Post. Guys, <laughs> uh, I, I don't want to, you know, uh, play politics here, but I think maybe that's what's going on. The contrarian view is being offered here, like, you know, uh, the sky, uh, chicken little type uh, situation. I, I actually am leaning more towards uh, a healthy and robust um, rebound and continued um, uh, good times for real estate in South Florida and elsewhere. Um, okay. You know, it's uh, it, it's um, 
I don't know if it was in this story or another story, but, you know, Miami's supposed to be one of the better rebound areas, but it's not the best. You're getting ahead of yourself, Mr. Fackler. Take it easy. Take it easy. Okay. Don't get ahead of your skis. <laughs> okay. okay. All right, so let's go Let's go to that story you were talking about, Mr. Fackler. This is story number right. six coming out of The Real Deal. It's written by the editor for The Real Deal out of New York, a gentleman called Stuart Elliott. And uh, the headline, Miami Mania. And here's the first couple graphs. It seems like the whole world is heading south for the winter and staying there. Since the pandemic hit, South Florida, despite seeing an enormous number of COVID cases, has benefited with a rarely a day going by without news of a mammoth luxury sale or prominent company relocating some of their employees from elsewhere in the country. In our cover story this month, we explore an idea that's gained currency in recent weeks as Miami's fortunes have surged. Can the city capitalize on its growth to eventually become a tech hub, maybe even the next Silicon Valley? What say you, Mr. Fackler? You've been in South Florida since the late 80s, originally uh, from yeah. up in New York, so you've sort of seen right. both. Um, what, what, well, what are you saying? This, is this hype, or is, this, is there any, any, any uh, credence to what's being said and marketed? Well, for eight years, eight years I covered the Sun and Sunbeat, you know, retail, um, um, restaurants, and, and all that stuff for public companies. I can tell you that this is very reminiscent of a previous cycle where we were <laughs> out there at – you know, the, with the tech boom place come on down, and it, it fizzled, and that wasn't that long ago. So now they're saying suddenly that all the tech companies are going to come here again. I don't believe that. I believe they're going to Austin area, Texas. They're not coming here. Um, so, you know, I don't mean to be negative about that, but, you know, I've seen these promises before, and they usually blow up. Yep, yep, yep. Now, now Mr. Groose, um, in looking at this column, it says, prompted by Miami Mayor Francis Suarez, a real estate attorney who took office in 2007, the idea went viral of the next Silicon Valley being in South Florida. Um, you know, 20 years ago, Mr. Groose, uh, you were a reporter in Florida. Uh, you remember what was going on. That's when everybody was setting up their own little area. New York had, New, uh, had Silicon Alley. Uh, South Florida had Silicon Beach. Um, uh, yep. Tech companies yep. were all coming to South Florida, some of the Latin American organizations were setting up shop on Lincoln Road in South Beach. Office space was built in anticipation of them. Lo and behold, the stock market crashed. Once it crashed, they couldn't give away the office space. They couldn't necessarily do any of it, and it all kind of went by the wayside. Um, Mr. Groose, uh, any difference this time versus last time? When Remember 20 years ago before the crash of the stock market when everybody was setting up tech hubs, uh, whether it be in Tampa, it be in South Florida, it be Orlando, it be anywhere else? Yeah, you know when I when I was a reporter in Tampa, they 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 used to call Tampa the land of announcements because there was <laughs> always an announcement, <laughs> and they would they would announce these things, these projects, and and every other day you'd get another announcement of a new project or a new company moving here or whatever, and 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 then like a few months would go by and it never happened, so we would. It was it was kind of dubbed the land of announcements, you know, because they just love to announce these things, but nothing ever came of them. They for a while there, um, Florida tried to get um, I don't know you may remember this, but they were trying to get the the um, computer chip companies like Intel to build like yep. large uh, chip for chip manufacturing facilities and all that. And you know that we had we had one you know in Orlando, uh, one lucent plant, you know, and that's it. Yep. Um, yep. So yeah, you know, you know, it's it's a lot of hype. It's a lot of economic development guys getting up there, beating the drum. And yeah, you know, I think 
this time around, um, maybe a little different because, you know, technology has progressed to the point where people really can work from anywhere. So, I mean, you are, you are starting to see, um, you know, some, some, some tech firms and some financial services firms, which I think is a much more interesting development. Um, you know, the Goldman Sachs, uh, you know, and, and others who are, who are moving sort of their their tech back office operations to Miami, and that's actually kind of an interesting development. But as far as the like the depth of talent and universities, we we just you know um, John mentioned Austin. You know, I, we just don't have the 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 resources that a place like Austin has with the University of Texas and you know the deep deep pool of talent. We don't we just don't have that in Miami now. Can that be developed? Yeah, but it's going to take a lot of time and it's going to get, like, most importantly, the universities to step up, you know, and contribute um, the kind of tech worker that, that these firms are looking for. So, yeah. Now, now, now and, and, and then just ending this segment, just to add, um, 20 years ago, uh, then-Governor Jeb Bush was pushing to bring biomedical um, research uh, facility scripts down here from San Diego. So they had a San Diego yep. operation, which is their hub, and then they were going to set up one in South Florida. All kinds of money was thrown around, all kinds of marketing, this mm -hmm. and that. Scripps ended up opening up in Palm Beach County, up in and around the Jupiter area. Um, you don't really hear much about it. That was 20 years ago that they opened up. Now, granted, University of Miami, they raised a bunch of cash. They're doing biomedical research over in the Alapata area around Jackson Hospital. But but there's not this, you know, this, this, this clustering that uh, government officials would have led you to believe 20 years ago when we were told about scripts and we were also talking about Silicon Beach in, in South Florida. So um, that being said, guys, let's go ahead. We'll take a commercial break. And the other side of the break, I'm going to ask the panelists to go ahead and make a prediction about 2021. What do they see coming down the pike? This is Peter Zaliski of the Condo Vultures podcast. I hope you're enjoying the podcast. And I wanted to alert you that if you have a property that you're looking to sell in the Tri-County, South Florida area, I would encourage you to reach out to Jenny Hortus, a licensed real estate broker with CVRRealty.com. She's my partner. She's been in the business for uh, north of 15 years. More importantly, she knows the market. She knows how to get a deal done. And she also realizes that it's more important to get a price that you can accept and sell the property rather than to hold firm on some price that's never going to be achieved and ultimately languish on the market. So if you're looking to do a deal that you want a skilled expert who can help you sell a property, reach out to Jenny Hortis at 305-865-5859, 305-865-5859, or visit her website, cvrrealty.com. If you're listening to this podcast, think about who else is. Do you want to reach that crowd, which tends to be investors, buyers, developers, lenders, why not advertise on the Condo Vultures podcast? To do so, give us a call at the office, 305-865-5859, 305-865-5859, or send an email to inquiry at condovultures.com, I-N-Q-U-I-R-Y at condovultures.com. Welcome back to the Reporters Roundtable. This is a discussion of some of the biggest headlines that occurred within the last week or so. As part of our podcast, what we also do is I ask the panelists to go ahead and make a prediction. For this particular segment, I'm going to have everybody talk about what do they anticipate for 2021. What does it give us an outlook, whether it be on real estate and or the local economy? What should we expect coming down the pike? Keep in mind, we're dealing with a pandemic. We have a brand new presidential administration coming in. Uh, we got concerns of inflation due to all kinds of stimulus money that is either in the market and or being uh, proposed for the market. And we have this talk about the stock market possibly going in a different direction. 
given the fact that uh, new regulatory uh, uh, individuals are going to be coming in who might not necessarily let the Wall Streeters trade the way they've been trading up to this point. So that being said, um, John, why don't you give us your prediction? What do you see? Uh, how does 2021 uh, play out, both on an economic and a real estate uh, perspective, at least in your mind for South Florida? Okay, well, I'm I'm actually pretty positive um, on 2021, and I'm just going to set the stage. You know, I was looking uh, the other day at the statistics from uh, the U.S. Bankruptcy Court here in the Southern District of Florida, which covers Miami, Fort Lauderdale, and, and West Palm. And you know what was interesting was that there weren't that many more bankruptcies in South Florida than in 2020 than there were in 2019. And I, I was really surprised. In fact, there were fewer personal bankruptcies in 2020 than there were in 2019 in South Florida. So in my, in, you know, just looking at some of these numbers, my thought is, okay, we have survived 2020. And yep. I don't know if it was because of the PPP loans or the cash payments, and there's more business loans coming in the pipeline with the spending plan, and that's going to get us through. And I think I think we're going to be um, we're going to survive to the point where when the recovery does show up this summer, we're we're going to be prepared and we're going to we're going to have survived. And I, you know, I just got to say there there there's some anecdotal signs that things are looking up. Um, and I, I would mention a few here. Uh, the first one is that at the airport, we have actually two new airlines that have set up shop at the airport, Southwest and JetBlue at Miami International Airport. And, you know, you can't underestimate the importance of those two airlines because they're very significant discounters. And yep. they're going to bring a lot of traffic to Miami, and especially the leisure traffic, which is going to come back before before the business traffic is. You know, I was in, I was in, um, and I think the demand for um, a vacation is going to be very, very strong. I, I uh, this uh, past uh, last couple of weeks, I was in Key Largo uh, at the Holiday Inn, and it was sold out, 100% full. Um, wow, which was pretty shocking, you know, um, I, I've seen, um, you know, I mean, restaurants seem to be pretty full. I was in Orlando, um, also for a few days and, uh, uh, the theme parks were, um, not, not, you know, their usual crowded busy, but there were quite a lot of people. Um, I was surprised. Um, I don't know if you've seen, but driving around this morning, I saw, five cruise ships uh, uh, tied up in, in the port of Miami. Now, you know, they've been sort of parked out in the Bahamas and off the coast and all of that. Yeah. You know, I think, I think in my, I think when I, my first thought was these guys are getting ready. They're getting ready for the return of leisure travelers. And um, you know, banks, banks have made it through this cycle uh, from a real estate perspective, I mean, they were, they, I don't know if you remember, but last summer they had set aside billions of dollars in loan loss reserves because they thought that, you know, commercial real estate was going to, was going to have some serious, serious problems. And it's turned out that that hasn't happened yet. <laughs> I mean, who knows if that's still on in the pipeline, but, but, my thought is, I mean, we haven't had a lot of bank closures or we, we haven't read anything about like serious 
problem real estate loans. I mean, by this time, I would have expected a lot more of that. So I think we're in actually in, in better shape, maybe, uh, than perhaps we might have thought. So that's my prediction. Interesting, interesting. Okay, um, Mr. Fackler, what, uh, what do you see coming down the pike for 2021? And we don't care about sports. <laughs> Listen, all I know is that I wish I I wish I would have went first because Jean stole my thunder. Oh um, come on! Nobody no, who listens to this podcast regularly me, agrees I, with that I, whatsoever. I, I will I will absolutely have to concur with with uh, Jean, and I'll, I'll tell you why. There was a story as well. I haven't seen the JetBlue and the other um, uh, passenger airlines, but Frontier, which had a massive layoff. Um, you know, a couple of months back, is now opening uh, new routes to MIA. And, you know, what's interesting is, you know, I hear a lot of plane traffic flying over my place. I, I, I don't remember there being any planes the first, you know, the first uh, before the uh, holidays. Suddenly now there's a plane landing or taking off every 10 minutes. Now, I'm wondering how much of that is cargo, how much is that is leisure. But, you know, I, I have the same feeling as, as John said, that I think the airlines are going to recover much earlier than uh, projected, which a lot of people will say in the end of uh, 2021. I'm looking at more of like a sec, uh, 2Q, second Q, quarter of 2021, where they're going to start improving uh, dramatically. So uh, sorry to piggyback on uh, what John, but that was uh, my prediction as well. So your your prediction is what exactly, John? You think the economy is going to be returned to normal in the second half of the year? I, I believe it's going to return uh, earlier than projected, uh, particularly in Miami. And I'm talking about uh, what Sean's talking about, the leisure activity, the trades, uh, leisure trade, and the airlines. Okay. Um, those are, I think they're going to be um, sort of the leaders on this going forward. Interesting, interesting, interesting. Well, um, uh, as for my prediction, I think um, basically the first nine months of the year are going to be a shit show. Uh, why do I say that? Well, President-elect Biden uh, obviously knows something. If the, his next stimulus plan, which is somewhere in the ballpark of $1.9 trillion, is going to focus on extending unemployment, extending moratoriums on evictions as well as foreclosures, uh, basically until October 1st. So uh, we also have all these people who still have the pandemic. We just topped 400,000 deaths in the United States. Uh, I told you at the beginning of the podcast, we got 24,000 people dead in the state of Florida. You got cases in California where they don't have enough rooms. Uh, uh, they're running out of all kinds of capacity in California for some of the, uh, the people who are catching the COVID. I think we got a lot more heavy lifting to go. I'm not sure the government is going to be able to figure out uh, anytime soon how to get people inoculated. And with all that going on, I just don't see how we can return to normalcy whatsoever. That's why I would say, um, you know, they got nine months of just slugging along. Um, I could even, and I predicted this last, uh, uh, at the uh, one of our previous podcasts, I predicted, I expect uh, President Biden to shut down the economy for several weeks, maybe even up to a month, much like they did in the UK, much like they did in France, much like they did around, around the um, world simply to try to get in Israel, to try to get things under control while they start to inoculate people. If he can float the $1.9 trillion, uh, get people feeling like they're financially secure, shut down the economy in, uh, somehow, some way, 
uh, try to get the, the pandemic under control, or at least to the point where uh, we feel like we're getting on the other side of the tunnel, then the hope would be to come out in the fourth quarter of 2021 with some sort of, uh, you know, clear sailing ahead. Even places like China, which have gone to extreme measures to get their pandemic uh, um, uh, under control, well, they just reported their economic growth, and if that's if you believe Chinese and what their economic data is, they reported they only grew by 2.5%, where normally they're growing 7, 8, 9, 10, 12% a year. They're saying they only grew 2.5%, and they supposedly don't have COVID anywhere, but now they have another outbreak going. So, so I, you know, I think 2022 is when the time when the roaring 20s that people are referring to, I think that's when it happens. I think these next nine months are going to be a, a slog. It's going to be a grind, and uh, it doesn't get better until effectively this time next year, from my perspective. So just to sort of uh, balance it out. Okay. Now, um, guys, let's go ahead. We'll take a commercial break. Then we're going to get into the comment section on the podcast. This is Peter Zalewski of the Condo Vultures podcast. Before I started doing these podcasts, I basically was in the business of being a licensed real estate broker, a contributing um, columnist for the Miami Herald, as well as the Miami Real Deal but also expert witness work in consulting. So if you are looking for an expert witness or if you're looking for consulting services, a straight talk perspective as to what's going on in a particular marketplace, a building, or what happened previously for whatever your situation is, whether you are a, an attorney, whether you are an institutional fund looking to invest, or whether you're a lender who's trying to come up with some sort of a strategy and approach uh, for your lending committee going forward, I just might be able to help you. To get a hold of me, please uh, reach out to Peter at condovultures.com. That's Peter at condovultures.com. Or give me a call to the office at 305-865-5859, 305-865-5859. Welcome back to the Reporters Roundtable. This is Peter Zalewski. I'm your host. We also have Jean Gruss. Jean was a journalist in Florida as well as up in Washington. Did it for 25-plus years including a gig at the Tampa Tribune. Right now, he has his own publication marketing firm called Groose Communication. We got John Fackler. He used to work uh, over at the South Florida Business Journal, covered white-collar crime as well as publicly traded companies based in South Florida. He also has his own consultancy related to publications and marketing, and uh, you all know who I am. So this is the uh, part of the podcast, the segment, where we give you, the listener, the opportunity to ask a question, offer some uh, a critique, compliment, criticize, uh, any and all of the above. We want to hear from you. If you do send us a comment, all comments we, we receive, we'll turn around and we'll discuss them uh, every Wednesday during our reporters' roundtable. If you want to reach out to us, send an email to inquiry at condovultures.com. That's I-N-Q-U-I-R-Y at condovultures.com. Mr. Feckler, um, we have a comment from our uh, regular listener, Ilya. Why don't you go ahead and uh, uh, tell us what Ilya's got to say. Yes, Ilya from the Treasure Coast um, wanted to um, – mention, I guess uh, this is really directed to you, um, baby, come back. Uh, come back already. I need my real estate podcast fix. Better <laughs> is better. 18th of January, you said, sheesh. Um, he also made a comment, going to try medium noche PSL style later today. It is all your fault. I don't remember. Did you mention something about medium noche? Yeah, I always ask you, if you were a regular listener to our Friday real estate players profile, I always ask the um, uh, the guests that I'm profiling whether or not they like the media noche, which is a Cuban sandwich on sweet bread, or whether or not they prefer the Cuban sandwich, which has the plain bread. So, um, Ilya, I encourage you to go try the media noche, but I'm telling you, you're going to like the Cuban sandwich better. In terms of coming back, yeah, we were down for about three weeks or so uh, through the holidays. 
Now we're back for season number two. We're going to continue with our um, uh, approach, which is a Monday condo market analysis, a Wednesday roundtable. Uh, reporters roundtable, we're bringing together current and former journalists, talk about some of the biggest headlines. And then on Friday, we do a reporters, excuse me, we do a real estate players profile. For this next coming real estate players profile, I'm going to be talking to a property manager. We're going to be talking about how do you manage these condominiums? Uh, yeah, how much does it really cost to manage a condominium? What should the real maintenance fee be if you're buying a condo? So we're going to get into that type of stuff. We'll be doing that every Friday for the foreseeable future in season number two. So, um, John, does Ilya have anything else to say? That's it, Peter. All right. All right. Um, John, do you want to add anything before we uh, shut down the podcast? Um, yeah, the only thing I'd like to add is um, happy days are here again. That's all i got to say. I'm looking forward to the next few weeks and a few months. I know it's going to be a challenge for Biden to roll out his new economic plan and everything else going on. But I'm actually uh, positive for, for change. Um, we'll see if I'm disappointed, but, you know, I'm looking forward to it. All right. All right. And Mr. Groots. Anything you want to uh, offer up before we uh, finish up this podcast? Our uh, our first reporters roundtable of season number two in 2021. No, it's going to be an exciting year, and um, you know I always enjoy those uh, real estate profile uh, that you do on Fridays. They're they're really great, um, and the guests you have on are, are terrific. Oh, fantastic! And you know, and I would say to anybody out there listening, if you have an interesting story to tell, um, you know. We wouldn't mind hearing from you. Send us an email. Or if you want to offer a comment, a criticism, uh, ask a question, send an email to inquiry at condovultures.com, I-N-Q-U-I-R-Y at condovultures.com. If you're not yet a subscriber to the podcast, please go ahead and do so wherever you're listening to podcasts. If you like what we're doing, leave us a rating and a comment uh, so we can sort of spread the message of kind of what uh, this, uh, you know, this podcast is all about and what is it all about. It's about bringing straight talk to an overhyped real estate market. So until next time, I'm your host, Peter Zalewski. Thanks for tuning in. Stay safe, stay healthy, and hopefully 2021 is going to be a much better year for all of us uh, mentally and physically than uh, 2020 was. So uh, we'll talk soon. Ciao, ciao.